continue our study um, in the book of uh, Genesis. Um, today we're going to tackle Genesis chapter 25, verses 19 through 34. Again, Genesis chapter 25. Looking at verses 19 through, 20, uh, through 34, which is the rest of the chapter. Uh, let me read the text before us. Um, we have, when we first started going through Genesis, it's been over a year ago, we started at Genesis chapter 1. So every Sunday we come back and we tackle another part of Genesis. We're just walking through the Bible together. Uh, we're walking and showing people how to read the Bible how to go through it and look for things in the scriptures that point to God and show unto his glory. We're going to do that today here this morning. Look at Genesis chapter 25, look at verse 19. These are the generation of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham father Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Armenian of Padamaram, the sister of Laban, the Armenian, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer. Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her. And she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Your womb and two people from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The other shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were com completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob or Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter and man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in the tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field. This is something that stood that Jacob and Zodom be making right here. So once when Jacob was cooking the stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of the red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is it a birthright to me? So Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Let me pray for us, and you might be asking, like, man, Chris, what are you talking about? Like birthright stew and Sarah, I mean, and uh, uh, Rebecca able to conceive. Like, what is all this stuff going on? Does this stuff make sense? Let me pray for us, and let's walk together through it. Our Father, God, in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord, and allowing us, Lord, to, to be back in your word, to be able to be with your people. Lord, we ask you, Lord, to, to, to let your word dwell in us richly. Guide me well, Lord, that I preach your word faithfully. Lord, that I don't try to entertain, to try to put a show on, to bring attention to myself. That I don't try to manipulate with God's word. But, Lord, let me preach your word faithfully, Lord, as it is in scriptures. Let your people be edified. Let them grow in your word. Lord, your word, Lord, gives life. So, Lord, I ask you, Lord, to give us life through your word. Help us understand this at this time. And for us to be able to leave this place. Not that it was just a, a good message, a good sermon. But people can leave here and say, our God is awesome. Our God is faithful. That our God does exactly what he said he's going to do. He's going to care for his people. So I pray that, Lord, today that we are encouraged, no matter what we're going through today, no matter what we're thinking through right now in life, that our God is faithful, our God will care for his people. 
So Lord, we ask you, Lord, to bless us at this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I um, was so intrigued a couple weeks ago when I started doing work on the BM, doing work and research and reading about the BMF. Um, if you guys know what BMF stands for, it's called the, the Black Mafia Family. The Black Mafia family was a, a family that was um, in the area of Detroit. It was led by different brothers of the family, of this one particular family. One that got a led is a guy named Big Meech. His name was Demetrius Flannery. And his brother named was Terry Flannery. And these guys right here established so many networks around Detroit and also all the way to Atlanta where how they was able to push dope all around the world. They made so much money they was able to say they made almost a billions of dollars of money that wasn't even accounted for. I don't know if you guys ever seen a picture with the BMF family. They had the long limousine. It was a Navigator limousine. And I remember my auntie had one. It wasn't a, a limousine Navigator, but it was probably about 2000, 2005. We had a homecoming. My auntie let me, it was just, they just came out with a brand new 2005 Navigator. And she let me whip it at homecoming. You know, the, the window, the, the mirrors go in and out on them. I'm going through there, you know, got the cap with everybody stepping and everything. I'm driving slow, got my music up and everything. And I was, thought I was everything with this little, with this navigator. But the BMF family, they had a limousine navigator. It was stretched out. And in this navigator, they had hidden composites in it with so much money that was stacked all through it. They had cocaine stacked into it. These guys was unstoppable. At one point, they had billboards in Atlanta. I don't know if you guys heard of that. You guys ever seen that? They had billboards in Atlanta that actually talked about the BML family. Young Jeezy, one of y'all, some of y'all favorite rappers, Young Jeezy. Um, he was actually told highly of the BML, how he was supported early in his career by the BML family. And one thing about the BML family, it was unstoppable. They was able to do stuff on the ground and no one could stop them. They was able to get money to places and in places that was um, it was impossible to get money to. One instant when the guy Big Meech actually at the end when actually when the feds started getting up on getting, getting close to him, some people asked that hey they had enough money and resources to fly him out of the country to Mexico. He could have got flown out, flew out of the country and got away and not go to prison, but he decided said no I'm not going to leave. If I'm if I'm leading I'm not going to leave this. And he got arrested and went away. But you might ask your question, like, why are you talking about it? Like, Chris, you really enjoy talking about this right now. <laughs> why did I bring this up? I saw it so fascinating on just the, um, not that I support, right, moving cocaine, but just the industry of itself, that the mind, how they work together in this particular industry, to work together in a certain way to make these things happen that we're actually not even heard of at this time. How somebody can push money and push dope all around America. How these things can happen. How does the network happen in a way with so much sophisticated wisdom involved with this? Um, well, I would say something that's so much greater, even though um, it was a lot of wisdom that went along with pushing that stuff, right? And, but I think about the fascinating picture of the story of our test today. Our test today is so unique in so many different ways. Is that how in the world is the promise going to come? How is the world the promise going to come? How is God going to give this promise? That if Jesus is going to come, how in the world is going to come if Ashley, Rebecca, cannot conceive kids? But also, now we also have a battle within two sons. How in the world is going to happen? And so I think about God's wisdom surpasses the wisdom of man. Even though the BMF family was able to move things underground and use so much, family, they eventually got caught. But someone's wisdom surpasses. He doesn't have to hide his wisdom. He can display his wisdom, and that's God himself. And we're going to see his wisdom today and how he brings about a beautiful picture of this promised child son is going to come through our text today. Today we're going to do it in four points. Isaac prayed for the Rebecca to conceive, verses 19 to 21a. Point number two, the Lord answered Isaac's prayer in twins, 21b. And point number three, the beef, or the beef between Esau and Jacob, 
22 to 28. And the last point is going to be the birthright with twins. And if you guys notice my points, if you have a program, I'm walking verse by verse. A lot of times you might hear sermons, people just all over the place, right? They go from here, go from here, go from here. It doesn't even make sense, right? What we want to do here is that we want to show you how to read your Bible even through the preaching of the Word. So I would say, as we walk through this together, open up your Bibles and actually walk through this with us, with me at this time. So jump to point number one. Isaac prayed for Rebecca to conceive. These are the generation of Isaac in verse 19. Abraham's son, Abraham's father Isaac. Here again, we are met with the word generations. We have seen this word several times in Genesis already. You guys remember we have seen it in Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. We have seen this also in Genesis, I think, chapter 2, verse 4. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. Chapter 10, verse 1. We keep coming to this word, these are the generations of. One person says this right here. Whenever the Bible uses the generations of in Genesis, throughout Genesis, it marks the beginning of major sections in the book. The book is like divided. The book, when we first got the Bible, the Bible didn't have numbers in it. We see it, go to Genesis chapter 1, somebody said, go to Genesis chapter 2. Years ago, say about 200 years ago, 300 years ago, the Bible didn't have numbers in it like that. They put numbers in it for references to quickly turn to it. But the first though is that they didn't have it. They had different markers in the book. For example, the word these are the generation of, somebody said turn to this. They were asked to look for these are the generation of, and they were asked to turn to the sections of Genesis. So the book, when it said that these are the generations of, it divides the particular book. So when we start out hearing about Abraham, also I think in Genesis chapter 11, I believe, we got introduced to a Genesis chapter 11, I think verse um, 25 or verse 12, somewhere up in there, it began the story with Abraham. Family, we just finished Abraham, didn't we? We talked about Abraham last week. Abraham died. Now it goes now to Isaac. So how does it start off with what? These are the generation of Isaac. Now we're going to start talking about Isaac. And so it sets us off to let us know now. Let's focus on Isaac right now. Isaac's father, Isaac, father was Abraham. And Isaac's wife, we learned last week, was Rebecca. And verse 20 says that Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Armenian of Padamaram, the sister of Laban, the Armenian, to be his wife. Isaac's servant was the one we learned that met Rebekah at the well and shared with her that Abraham was looking for a woman for his son to marry. That Isaac had to marry someone that were in the people of God. Because the past, if you marry someone that wasn't part of the people of God, it was more likely for people to actually take upon the gods of other people. We started with Solomon, didn't we? When Solomon actually married all these women, he started taking their gods. So what did God do? God said, no, do not marry within the people, outside the people of God. And you guys probably heard me say this 40 times. The whole thing about culture, not eating and I am kind of convinced on in a way of that why is it such thing as clean and unclean animals? Think about the clean animals you don't eat. A lot of times people say don't eat pork because of health reasons. I don't, agree. I don't, I'm not buying into that. Pork does probably have health issues and things of that nature, but I don't think that's the reason why I was given to us in scriptures. I don't think it's the reason why I started eating certain other animals. It said I'm eat a hawk because of, because of health issues. I'm convinced it said doesn't eat these certain animals because of the character of those animals. Think about a pig. A pig, it talks about Barnabas, it talks about in the book of Barnabas, which is not scriptures, but gives some historical stuff. It talks about how a pig would eat the hand that feeds them. A pig doesn't have limits on what it does. And the same thing about a catfish, right? It doesn't have any limits on what it does. I mean, every animal that is unclean or animal, it's talking about doesn't eat the hawk, because what? A hawk what steals the kill from someone else. So all the character of all the unclean animals, look at the character traits of those animals. But look at the animals that it said we can't eat. A deer. A deer grazed the ground. All the unclean animals, all the clean animals, 
or the animals are a lot more gentle, a lot more in a sense of not as aggressive as a lion, as a tiger. So God was already telling them in the Old Testament not to be like the not to be like the other nations. Don't take upon the other nations, but also is that don't take things from also from animals. So don't be around these certain animals. Only eat these particular animals. So God was already sharing and sharing with us is that we are so easy to pick up on things from other people. We need to stay separate. Because if we don't, we will pick up those certain things and we will look just like the world. So what did God tell the servant to do? He said what? Put your hand on my thigh. We talked about that last week. To make a covenant. And the covenant was, do not take a wife from these people. Do not take a wife from these people because if you take a wife from these people, how the Messiah is going to come? Because more likely, you guys are going to give in to these same gods as these other people. So stay separate from them. We saw what happened again in Genesis chapter 6. How the sons of God and the sons of man. Sons of God are the people that trust the Lord. Sons of men are the people that didn't trust the Lord in the text. They married each other. And the world turned perverted. And we only had one person that God saw faith in. It was actually Noah. Not that Noah was so good in himself, but God gave grace to him that Noah could preserve the promise of the Messiah to come. And what happened here? Abraham's servant was faithful. He found a wife for Isaac amongst the people of God. And he did that. Isaac married Rebecca last week. But we find out too that Rebecca's faced the same situation here with Sarah. And so the ladies in here that are expecting or that are um, have experienced a difficulty with childbirth, um, you're not alone. If you notice that Abraham's wife Sarah, she was barren for a long time. She couldn't have kids. She wanted a child, but she couldn't have kids. And Lord, eventually, Lord eventually provided for her. Now we're faced with a similar situation. Now we see that Rebecca cannot have kids. Why is the Lord allowing these women not to have kids and they first get married? Why is this happening here? It said in verse 21, it says she was banned. I think the Lord is doing the same thing they was doing with Sarah. The Lord know how we all can be impatient at times. The Lord allowed them to be barren to be able to allow them to see how far are they willing to go to trust him. How far are you willing to wait to trust him for a child? Because for them at this time, they are waiting all day for a child. They're waiting all these years for a child. It was everything to have kids. And they, they were waiting for have kids. And also for them knowing that in the midst of this, for them having kids, they're eventually going to bring about the Messiah. So Sarah and Rebecca was anticipating a child to come. Because eventually they were anticipating that one day a Savior is going to come. Because if they don't have kids, how will we have a Savior for our sins? So they was anticipating for a Savior to come in the midst of this. But they got to wait on them now. They're barren. But what did God do here? God is so kind. We're, we're talking about this here shortly, what he's going to do. We saw what happened when Sarah wasn't able to get a child in time. That she actually gave her maidservant to Abraham to have a child by Hagar. Is, is Rebecca going to do the same thing? Is she going to be patient here? You'll find out here in just a moment. Again, it seems as if the door is closing up. Brandon, we talked about this the other day, and the door is closing up. But the Lord promises in Genesis 3.15 that a seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. So this, for, so for this to happen, that means a child has to be born through Rebecca. And for all in this room, family, I think we all can relate to Sarah and Rebecca. We are hopeful at time, but not seeing the promise in time we can make a mess of things. 
If we don't get the things that we feel like God is going to give to us, sometimes we go out there and try to get it ourselves and make a mess of it. We say, well, God called me to do this in life. Then two weeks later, you're doing something else in life. If God really called you to do something, family, if he called you to do this, and you're going to be able to make it, this is going to be a career for you, whatever the case may be, family, you're not going to leave it next week. If God has called you to do something, God's going to keep you there. A lot of times, we put ourselves in the place of God and said God is telling us, he, he telling us to do these certain things, but a lot of times, it's our own flesh. It's our own emotion. And we're manipulating ourselves saying God is telling us to do this, but actually we are actually led by the desires of our own flesh. But God do. God do encourages us. He do tells us. He do speak to us through his word. So family, I encourage you here. When trials come your way, let us not make a mess in those certain moments. But remember, though, is that regardless of trials coming, God has promised us that he would never leave us or forsake us, that he would give us all our needs. He has told us in Psalm 23 that he's our shepherd that we should not want. So you're weary right now about a job. You're weary right now about a marriage. You're weary about things in the life. The Lord is saying he is our shepherd we shall not want. In the midst of not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow, he will provide for us even when we don't understand Right now, the season where we're in, Lord is going to provide for us. Lord, it doesn't make sense. Family, a lot of times it might not make sense, but family, maybe hold on to the promise that he will provide for us. Amen. Amen. We talked about this last week, about eight things what trial teached us on the back of the program last week. Trials deepen our prayer lives. Trials grow our knowledge of God's word and character. Trials increase gratitude for our Savior. Trials make us more like Jesus. Trials equip us to comfort others. Trials prepare our eternal way to glory. Trials remind us that earth isn't our home. Trials test and strengthen our faith. Family, when things doesn't work the way we want, trials have so much more benefit to us than not getting what we want. A lot of times we don't get what we want, and sometimes we puff up, we cry, we get mad, and we just get angry, and all these things, we miss the joy and the grace of trials. Trial teaches us how to depend on the Lord. It's so much good in trials, even though at times when we experience, it might be things that we face, it's hurtful, right? We have to lament. We don't want to go through those certain things, but God still is working so much good in the midst of trials. So everything's not bad about trials, but trial teaches us so many things. It stops us in our track. We probably ain't prayed all that day. When the trial comes now, we ain't got no we ain't got no other choice but to pray now, right? Because it's not our hands. In the same way, fam, trial teaches us to trust our Savior. A lot of us, especially as men in here, a lot of times we think we're indestructible. A lot of times we think we're so strong. We think we got everything. Family trials let us know that we need our Lord's strength. Trials show that we are just as weak as everybody else. Trial shows us that our God. It's the only thing that can keep us. Let me see here today what happened now is Isaac here. The Isaac uh, right now, seeing his wife is not able to conceive. We see in point number two now. What to do next? If your wife can't conceive, what do you do next? You pray. Look at point two. The Lord answered prayer with twins. And the Lord granted his prayer. When he prayed in verse one, but also now the Lord also grants prayers. I mean, point one, he actually prayed, I'm sorry. Point two, now the Lord grants his prayer. Rebecca, his wife, conceived. The Lord granted his prayer. Isaac prayed and Rebecca conceived. I always find it fascinating. What was going on during this time as she was waiting, as she was praying? It doesn't tell us, does it? Could the Lord already in this moment said, let me go ahead and let her conceive because they're going to go do the same thing Abraham and Sarah are going to do. And if I give them too much long, if they wait too long, they're going to mess around and go into the maidservant again. I'm not saying that that, that was going to happen. But it did happen in the past, didn't it? And we also we're going to find out that next week, Isaac is just going to be just like Abraham. 
They're probably going to do the same stuff Abraham did. Could, could this have been a possibility right here that God allowed them to go ahead and conceive right now in the midst of this? Isaac prayed and Rebecca now received, conceived. The Lord answered prayers of the righteous. One person says it's about praying. We can be confident that God will answer prayer. Listen to this. If we pray for God to glorify himself, if we pray for forgiveness, if we pray to know God better, if we pray for wisdom to know how to live for God, if we pray for the strength to obey and live for God, if we pray for the spread of the gospel, family, the Lord answered our prayers. Because those prayers are saturated in his identity. So family, yes, the Lord does have the prayers. But if your prayers are so selfish, if your prayers are about for you glorifying yourself above the world, above everybody else, if you're not praying how God has called you to pray, say pray that, Lord, your will be done. Pray that your name be glorified. That in the midst of this, Lord, if I pursue this job, Lord, that maybe, Lord, I grow more in Christ, that many people at this job may know Jesus. Is that job or that thing that you're seeking, is it mostly for God's glory? Or are you convincing yourself, oh, yeah, it's for God's glory. But in actuality, it's for self, self-glory. Amen. Amen. So you got to ask yourself this. What are you motivated for in life? Even going to classes in school. What are you motivated for? Are you going to school to be at the best career? To outdo a, 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 a cousin? To outdo a, fair, a friend? To outdo someone? To, to prove something to parents? If you're motivated by doing anything in this world, and if it's not for God's glory, it's sin. We should be motivated by God's glory. As we pray and seek the Lord, let it be for God's glory. And for Isaac praying for the birth of a child, we can read in Hebrews 11 that Isaac was a brother of faith. So for him praying for his wife, Isaac was looking forward to a savior. He wanted his wife to have a child for a savior to come in the future. It was not just for a son in the sense of for his own selfish benefits. And I'm not saying we can't enjoy things in life. We have a lot of things, there are different interests in life. A lot of things we can enjoy. But if we are motivated by those things for our own selfish indulgence, family miss all this. So family, let us pray properly. Pray for God's glory in the midst of this job that we are seeking out of. Pray for God's glory in the midst of forgiveness and relationships. We pray for God's glory. Not just the reconciliation of that friendship. The Lord, may your name be glorified and how I humble myself in this moment and ask for forgiveness for a friend or for a family member. God commits to answering these prayers because these prayers sum up the work of the gospel. They are all prayers for God to do his new covenant work through his word. A lot of people are, have heard to pray for spouses. There was somebody that's single praying to be married one day. And they spent so much time trying to find the perfect girl or the perfect guy. To be able to, to meet the needs of loneliness. To meet the needs of all these other things you feel like the needs that you want in that particular moment. But family, way more than a spouse that marriage represents. Marriage represents so much greater than a spouse across the room, across the table from you. God, in his own glory, in his own wisdom, God allow us to have a spouse to point to him. Because a spouse reveals areas in our heart that we suppress. There's no, there's no way you can hide everything from a spouse. You can hide some stuff. We've got to hide everything. So, so even in a marriage, God uses for his own glory for us to be molded in areas of our life that we are showing in our own heart that we try to suppress. If it's anger, if it's depression, anxiety, having a spouse 
All those things come out. Some of y'all that single say, you ain't got to have a spouse. Right? All that stuff to come out, right? But for the most part, though, is that God has a plan in marriage. Marriage is so amazing what God uses it for, to grow more, more into the image of a son. So for those that are single, that are looking forward to be married one day, is it just for selfish reasons? Or say, more, Lord, I want to grow more in you. As I have a spouse, Lord, that they're going to show me more about areas of my life, Lord, that is not conformed to you, Lord. As you give me a spouse, Lord, Lord, if you're will, Lord, give me a spouse so I can be conformed more to you. But if having a spouse mostly, and you're thinking all day, and the majority of the time thinking about a spouse, and it's thinking about mostly for selfish reasons, you're not motivated, right? You're not going about it in a way that's under the Lord. It's a way that meeting the things that you want for your own self over what God wants for you. So family, as we pray, let us our prayers be like Isaac here. Pray for spouses, pray for jobs, pray for things in life. Let us pray in a way that honors the Lord, that knowing the Lord will get the glory from it all. So family, we need to be a people of prayer. When we don't pray, we are living out a false Christian life. A Christian life is situated in, 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 in people that are continually, that consists of people that are continually praying daily. If you pray a lot, that means you are not trusting in what the future is going to come, what you think the future is going to be. If you pray, you say, well, I don't know what tomorrow may be, but I'm okay what tomorrow is going to be. Because prayer shows your dependence on the Lord. When you're not dependent on the Lord, you don't have to pray. You know, tomorrow you're going to go up and go to work. You already know it's going to happen. Your car's going to be there. Your job's going to be there. Your spouse's going to be there. When you don't pray, you already told yourself everything's going to be there. Family, that's prideful. Tomorrow's not promised. When you pray, it's submitted to the Lord. Lord, we don't know what tomorrow may bring, but Lord, if it's your will, Lord, I pray that these things be there tomorrow. I pray that I have a job tomorrow. I pray that these things be there if it's your will. And what did God do? God provides in a special way. So God gives them kids, but now we see in point number three, baby kids, right? Y'all call them? <laughs> the beef between Esau and Jacob, 22 to 28. Look at verse 22. The children struggle together within her. How are kids fighting in the womb together? I mean, how are they fighting already? Like, again, who taught them how to fight like this already in the womb? By nature. By nature, we are all born in iniquity. We all what have sinned against God. Again, you don't have to teach a, a one-month-old baby to have the bottle. You Caleb probably noticed that last night. And so, when the baby wants the bottle or the baby wants to be fed, can you stay there asleep, though? No. You got to feed the baby on the baby time. The baby is in control at the moment. Where did they get that from? From the fall of Satan. When Satan was in heaven, he wanted to rule over God. And when, when rebellion came into this world, sin came into the world, now all of us, are when we're born into this world, we want things our way on our own time. If you don't break that from a two-year-old child, four-year-old child, they're going to continue with it until they get grown. They're going to have things their way. We're seeing right here with these children. They're fighting within this. There was an intense labor here. Hearing from my wife and many other ladies that carrying a baby is pretty intense. And how the ladies say it too is that y'all men don't understand. Y'all don't understand what we've been through. We've been through this. Y'all don't know what it means to carry a baby. And I turn this around though is that in the tense of what Rebecca went through. Oh, Rebecca went through something that's very intense as well. So Rebecca know what, intense, what intensity looks like. And by her knowing what, how intense a pregnancy looked like, it was a struggle for her. It was like it was a struggle for many of you ladies. Rebecca carried two babies at the same time. So this pregnancy was real deal. Scripture said that they struggled together within her. The test go on to say, and she said, if this is thus, why is this happening to me? Why is this labor so hard? Why is this happening in me? What did I do wrong? Sometimes y'all may ask about trials. What did I do to receive this? I helped everybody out in life. I did all these certain things. What did I do to receive this? 
So Rebecca asking this question, like, what is going on within me? She's confused about this promise. If God is going to give him the promised child, and the child's going to come from this, it should be a lot more easier than this. The promise is supposed to come with joy and painless. I think that's how we all understand promises of God at times, don't we? It should just come with so much joy. We shouldn't have to go through things in life. It should be a life. As you, when some of you guys believe in Jesus, got baptized, you say, I believe in Jesus, I profess Jesus, I love Jesus. A lot of time you think that your trials are going to go away, don't you? You feel like, you know, it's not going to be bad anymore. You believe in Jesus now, everything's going to be good. For all of us to testify in it as being Christians in this room, it seemed like it even got harder, didn't it? <laughs> you might ask the same question. Why is this happening? Lord, I put my faith in you. Why is this happening? I'm looking forward to the promises. Why are these things are happening? Rebecca, for a moment, resembles us, but she doesn't stay in fear here, though. Even though she's fearful what is happening, she moves to the Lord. Look at the rest of the verse. So she went to inquire of the Lord. What happened? When things doesn't make sense, Rebecca shows her what to do. We go to the Lord. She went straight to the Lord. She sought the Lord for help. When she was confused, she didn't curse the Lord. She didn't whine to the Lord. Woe is me, woe is me. She went to the Lord to pray. That's the Lord prayer. She didn't question the Lord's sovereignty. She trusted the Lord so much. So she went to him for guidance. Look at verse 23. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two people from within you shall be divided, and the one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall be served the younger. The Lord reveals to her that the sons represent two nations. One growing to lead in the way, and the other growing to serve in the way. Scripture goes in detail. Look at 24 and 26. Who are these two sons? When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterwards, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau heel. So his name was called Jacob. Esau was 60 years old when she bore them. Esau, the oldest, Jacob, the youngest. Esau, the oldest, he came out first. Esau, now named Esau's word called Edom. Edom is the actual Hebrew word. It's a word meaning red. A lot of people try to say Esau was the first white man in the world because he was red, which that doesn't match this text here in this context here. Even in parts of India and parts of Africa, you have had black people with certain red hair. Uh, you have had some black people with certain type of um, hair that was curly and red. So this right here is not saying he's a white man based on the text. This is what a lot of Hebrew Israelites believe. It's not saying this. But we see though is that he is the oldest. And Jacob right here is the word Yaakov means deceiver. Held his heel when he came out. You might ask a question like, well, this doesn't make sense. Why would he hold the heel here? You got to think about it. You want the birthright. You've been the father first child. You get all the blessings from the father. By being the, 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 the one that's the oldest, you get all these different benefits, right? So what Jacob is doing, even at, in the womb right here, this baby right here was... IQ level was off the chart, wasn't it? He pulled the heel of his brother. Thinking that he can get the birthright. Trying to deceive. He wanted it so bad to deceive to get it. Y'all know how I feel, right? When somebody wants something bad and even a friend or somebody to backstab you for it. Jacob wanted it bad, y'all. He wanted it so bad for us never to forget that he wanted it bad that the Lord named him Jacob. Deceiver. He wanted it so bad. You would notice that Jacob looked more like the unbeliever at times compared to Esau. Like he's already called a deceiver. If he's going to be a true man of God, 
Why is he grabbing this, this dude heel? With his baby heel. It goes on to verse 27. When the boys grew up, Esau was skillful hunter. Last time we kind of heard a skillful hunter, we heard about a guy named Nimrod. We also heard another name. A guy named, I think it was called Tubalcain. Was actually was a with his was gifted with his hands. All the ones that was actually called skill hunters or those that were gifted with their hands, if you notice, they was always considered the ones that didn't get the promise. Think about it. And the lineage of Cain with Tubal Cain. The ones that were considered like skillful with the hand, they was never considered the ones that was actually lineage of the promise. Instead of Cain lineage, it was actually self lineage. What about Nimrod? Instead of being Nimrod, which is son from son from Ham, it's actually from Jephthah. And now we see another skillful hunter, Esau. I think the skillful side of people that are skillful, those are the ones that are most likely to boast in self, because the lineage of Cain was known for all their all their engineering mind of building things and building kingdoms. But the people that was of the promise are humble and said, "Lord, we might not know how to build these things, but we have you." We see the two lineages here. Now Esau is known for all these great things. But Esau is not the one of promise. So we see Isaac saw the, Isaac saw the outer appearance. He saw the skill in the son. But also he saw his son was like him. That Esau, he said Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. So Isaac saw these benefits in his son. Isaac saw the outer appearance of his son. But the Lord is the one that sees the heart. The Lord knew that before the foundation of the world, how Greg read the scriptures, it said that Isaac said that Esau that I hated, but Jacob that I love. Neither one was born. That was neither born, neither one done good or bad. But God said, I, I said, Esau that I hated, Jacob that I love. What is God saying there in that text? Family, we can't work ourselves to God. Before we was even born, God has already set about a people that he loved, and God has set aside a people that actually, that he's going to punish forever. You might ask the question like, man, this doesn't make sense. Are we like robots here? It's the wisdom of God to think about it. Apart from God, none of us in the room will see God. Apart from him, they will love the things of this world. We will want to be worshipped apart from him. But God in his goodness, he set aside, set something out on the side for his own glory. Family, let us be thankful for that. We don't deserve it. None of us in this room deserve his goodness. But what did he do? He takes some people that are so undeserving and he set them over here. Not because of what they're done. Not because they were kind because they helped somebody across the street. Not because they're kind because they paid somebody a light bill. It's not because God loved them and God did. And by God doing it, God began a good work in them first. We saw this happen here. Jacob was chosen, not by his works, but by the love of God, just like all of us. So Jacob would be given the promise. And it comes very weird how he's going to get this. Look at the deception. Last point, point number four. So the birthright is given, the birthright is blown to Esau. How is Jacob going to get it? Look at verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name is called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use of birthright to me? Esau gave in to the flesh. He offered Jacob the birthright for a bowl of stew. This stew had to have some oxtails in it, right? This has to be some good stew right here for the birthright to be given away. And I'm just imagining that. The brother would want to give away his inheritance for some stew. And I was trying to think about this. I'm trying to assume, like, even in our day, for example, some, order some oceans. 
I like the fish, I like the chicken. You think about like one wing left over there on the plate. You got five people at the table, you got one wing left. Everybody looking at it. And you try to negotiate for that wing. How y'all ever done that before? You try to negotiate for that last piece of whatever item that is on the plate right there you negotiate for. I was trying to consider, could that be the case here? That this stew was so good that he was negotiating for it that he had to have that stew. But whatever the case it was, though, is that the brother even was so convinced that he was going to die that if he don't get it. The brother said he was just so hungry here that if he doesn't get that he's going to die, that he wanted it so bad at this moment. Verse 33, look how Jacob responds. Jacob says, swear to me now. So Jacob said, hold on, hold on. I like this bit. I get all the inheritance, the land. I get all these things from my dad. Come, come here, let's do this. Let's, let's make this covenant. He says, swear to me now. And he said, so he swore to him and served, sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil soup, stew. And he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Esau sold his birthright to Jacob. One person says this. Contrary to the norm of succession and inheritance, the Lord gave to Jacob the rights of the firstborn. Though on the human level, Jacob manipulated his brother in order to receive them. Esau, as the older son of Isaac, should have inherited the birthright. The claim to the family leadership, he forfeited that, however, in a moment of self-indulgence. But family, going back to this, in Romans 9, that God said neither one was born, that the promise born to, born to Ashley, to Jacob, so you might ask the question, I go back to the illustration of the BMF, the Black Mafia family. Just the wisdom and the sophisticated industry they had going on for them not able to get caught for so long. But now we see the wisdom of God right now in this text. God now shows us in this text that in the midst of this, that the promises is going to go to Jacob, God allowed Jacob to use stew to deceive his brother to do this. You might ask the question that, well, has God been manipulative then? Well, what is God doing in this? No, God's not been manipulative. God allowed, in the midst of this, God allowed the sinful nature of Jacob to God to use for his own glory. Does that make sense? How God uses the sinful nature of Jacob to deceive his brother to get the promise that God was going to give to him anyway. So I think about it like this. I, I would say is that Jacob was going to get the promise anyway. He just lied and weighed himself to get it early. Deceived himself to get it early. And God knew, I would say get it early, and got it when God allowed it to happen at that particular time. It shows the sovereignty of God here. Jacob was chose before he was even born. God already told Rebekah who the promised seed would be. It was coming to, to Jacob regardless, but we see how to receive promise, how he received the promise. God allowed Esau to give in under pressure to actually fulfill the promise. So Esau, discontent heart, brought about the promise of Jacob to be fulfilled. This process of Jacob will continue with his brother Esau for a while until they grow more into maturity. Let me stop here, family. Let me stop. I'm going to have a couple applications as we end. How is your prayer life? How is your prayer life? Do you seek the Lord in prayer throughout the day? Or do you only seek the Lord when you want something from him? If not, what are you trusting in to get through the day at every moment of life if you're not praying? If we don't pray, we are trusting our own wisdom over God's wisdom. So, family, let us be a people of prayer. Get up in the morning as you're driving your car. You go to work. Pray throughout the day. And you don't have to close your eyes and pray. When you see somebody looking at you talking crazy, you can start praying in your head so you won't say nothing crazy back to them. Teach yourself how to pray more. Point number two. Application two. Remember the Lord still answered prayers today. When you go through trials, think back in multiple occasions God is faithful. Think about your life. Brandon, look what you've been through. How God has been faithful. Rihanna, look what you've been through. God has been faithful. 
Just start remembering back. Remember reminiscing on back on God that brought you where he brought you from. Many of you guys didn't say that all of us probably could say we could have been dead and gone. But the Lord helped me to live on. Is that how the song goes? If I had it in me, I'd try to bring some of it out. Point number three. Sometimes believers live, I mean live look more like unbelievers. Sometimes, family, our lives look jacked up, don't they? So don't be quick to counsel people out. Some people might not be as mature in the word. They might not have never been discipled in the word. Be ready to walk with someone. Some believers' life might not have it all together. But are you willing to walk with them and care for them? Look at Jacob's life. Jacob's life was messed up, y'all. But Jacob's in heaven one day. He's in heaven because the Lord grew him. Jacob was poured into by his dad. So fam, don't count somebody out around you because they might not know the Bible the way you know it. They might have not been around and hung out around you and at your, here at Christ Redeemer Church. Be willing to invest into them and care for them. Last, point, last application. We might not have the birthrights, but what are you trading the gospel in, in your life for? We might not have all the birthrights as what, 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 what we saw with Jacob and Esau, but we might have other things like the Lord has blessed us with, and we have turned and made those things idols. Family, are we giving too much glory to, to things in life? If it's money, if it's cars, is it relationships? Is it recognition to wanting to be known? When we see the gospel, we receive everything that is in Christ. We have it all, family. We have it all that is in Christ. It's nothing in this world that would truly satisfy you. You get a couple of stacks, you're going to want more stacks. You're going to get a million, you're going to want a billion. You get a billion, you want a trillion, it doesn't stop. Anything that we desire off of is not of the Lord. We don't have limits. We're going to continue in it. Family, we have something much better within Christ. We have it all. We are forever are cared for by our Lord. Let us hold on to that. Let me pray for some of y'all wink your eyes and everything. I guess I'm over time. Father God is in heaven, Lord, we thank you, Lord, again for us, allowing us to, Lord, to hear your word, to be able to see your faithfulness.